Praise the Lord. Family matters, right? It matters big time. Hey, we've got a very special treat for you today. Four of our ladies are going to be sharing uh, part of their story because we believe your story matters. That's right. Your story matters. And so uh, this is Lisa Slade. Her husband, Nick, is our worship pastor. And uh, you'll get to hear from her this morning. We love Lisa. This is Rachel. Rachel Spearhead's our preschool ministry here Monday through Friday, wears a lot of different hats on this campus and serves greatly. She keeps me and Joe and all of us in line, so we really appreciate her. This beautiful lady right here, 82 years, forever young matriarch in the house, Mama Kay. That's right. You'll get to hear her heart. And then Kim Pickens uh, works with Barb, my wife, and... Uh, and Amanda and others kind of spearheading our women's ministry, and Kim's kind of, she's going to emcee and kind of drive this conversation today, but it's going to be very interactive. But we thought on Mother's Day, it would be really cool for you to hear the hearts of some of our moms uh, as they've struggled into motherhood, what it looks like, and as they try to really seek to glorify the Lord in it. So Kim, take it away. Thank you girls for sharing today. Give it up for them one more time. Good morning, the cross. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Um, we're just wanting to have a little kind of front porch kind of conversation this morning. We're going to tell you a little bit about our stories into motherhood and kind of what God did to change those stories when he entered into our stories. So I'm going to go ahead and start with question number one. So, Lisa, um, in your before Christ days, your BC days, what did motherhood look like to you, and what happened to shape that view? Okay, uh, I thought I'd be a little less nervous. This <laughs> There's a lot more of you up here, and um, they wouldn't let me sing it. So, <laughs> um, uh, for me, um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, I actually was given a very strong foundation of what having a loving mother looked like. My mom stayed at home. Um, she was there. She was very present. Um, she had, she had total 10 kids. I'm the second oldest. Um, so motherhood looked like having a lot of babies and, um, you know, and as the second oldest, I was always one that was taking care of all the little kids. And that came pretty natural to me. Um, I, I think if you're ever around my oldest, you'd see her love of babies. And I, I think she definitely gets that for me. Um, but when I was nine years old, uh, my mom decided she wanted to go start a new family. Um, so she left us, um, she left seven of the kids with my dad and went and had her, her three more and um, I'm shaking, whoo. Um, and uh, our world fell apart. My dad um, started doing drugs. He started, um, he lost his job. We eventually in the next few years ended up homeless. Um, and I, I really, took the lead in taking care of the little kids. I would babysit um, and take that money and buy groceries. And I would, um, I was the one that, when the little ones would have nightmares, I, I'm the one that went to them. And um, they, were, they were my little babies. And, um, you know, and as long as we were together, things felt good. And, even, you know, a lot of times we see kids that are going through stuff and we always wonder, how are they getting through that? And, um, you know, it, it's just all we knew, really. Um, and, uh, then when I was 13, um, we all ended up splitting up and ended up with different family members. Um, I came to Georgia from California, 
to live with uh, my aunt and uncle with two of my sisters and, um, you know, and really just, um, you know, my motherhood for me was just figuring it out for these little kids, um, you know, because I came mom and uh, abandonment, you know, definitely played a part, even though I didn't buy into that right then. But um, so that's my before Christ. I soon after um, met the Lord. And so you had on-the-job training for motherhood, I right? did, yes. <laughs> um, so for me, I was kind of opposite than Lisa. I was very blessed to grow up in a Christian home. Um, my mother and, and my mother was a believer and, well, both my parents were, and I had two grandparents that were um, very godly, strong women, um, aunts, cousins, um, you name it. I, I really had a good example of what motherhood looked like. Um, one of them, which her birthday is today. She's 97. I'm very excited about that. Um, but it, it really makes a big difference, and it really does shape what, what looks like motherhood when you have that influence in your life. And so um, I, at the age of 24, I found out I was pregnant with my first um, child, Bella. Um, I was not married at the time, and in my family, um, like I said, I, went, I grew up in a church home. I, I was saved um, in a very Southern Baptist way at the age of 12. Um, meaning I walked an aisle, I, I went to a class, and I got baptized shortly after that. Um, and so I, um, I knew what I had done was wrong, um, that, that getting pregnant before marriage was not, um, was not what God intended for us to do. And so um, as a result, um, my view of motherhood became this like relentless um, pursuit of being, it was an assignment for me. It was an assignment that I was going to be really, really, really good at because I knew I had made a mistake and I felt like the, the more I tried to be this perfect mom, um, the more it would erase what I had done. And so that literally consumed me, um, just totally consumed me. And the guilt was um, unbelievable what I carried um, for so many years. Um, and it was about five years ago Tim did a sermon here um, where he talked about looking in the rearview mirror and not letting what happened in your past define you. And um, he had a cross that he challenged us during that sermon to write down anything that we were holding on to that was holding us back. And um, I remember that day very vividly. I wrote Bella's name on the top of the card, and underneath it I wrote, um, God doesn't make mistakes, and I was created to be a mom. And I nailed it to the cross that day, and, um, you know, that was something that I, I surrendered. I surrendered that guilt, and she was three at the time, so it was something I carried for a long, long time. Um, but motherhood still um, was all-consuming to me. It was, it, was this per, it was this assignment that I wanted to be just so, so good at, and um, like I said, it really was something that, that totally consumed me, and it, it took priority over everything in my life. It took priority over... Um, you know, my marriage, it took priority over, um, my family, um, because it was something that I wanted to just be so, so good at. And so that was kind of how my first initial view of motherhood was. I was, um, I was born in New York in Harlem and during that time, Harlem was really, um, it's just parties everywhere. All the entertainers were coming to the Apollo Theater, and I was right in the middle of all of it. <laughs> I really liked that. And, and, and in my home, my home was not a Christian home. 
um, it was kind of like there was always a party going on. But the Lord revealed to me just this morning something about those parties. During that time, there was, uh, in Harlem, people gave what they called house rent parties. And they bought and cooked up a lot of food, and people came and danced, and, and the, the dinners were sold, and the drinks were sold. And I guess this was so that people could pay their rent. So what I've come to realize, I used to think of it as just partying, but this morning the Lord revealed to me that my mother was taking care of me. She was providing a way for me to have a home. She was supp supplementing her income, and I am grateful to her for that. But that party lifestyle, it kind of like rubs off on you, and it doesn't just stop in the home. You, you, you carry it with you wherever you go. So that was my lifestyle, partying. It, it, at an early age, I had introduction into men, alcohol, weed, promiscuity. Um, I did all those things. And consequently, that led down to a road to abortion. And that was something that I buried. I did not think about it. I just, I buried it. But I kept on with my partying because that was my lifestyle. At the age of uh, 21, I got married, and I had two beautiful children. My sweet little girl is over there. I had two beautiful children, but I found myself single again with two kids to take care of. And it, it, it was not easy, but I, I always worked, so I took care of my children. I provided for them. I loved them. I spent time with them. And, and the Lord blessed me with a job um, with Youth Services Agency, and I worked like in a social work capacity, working with kids who were, who were on the streets and deprived of really um, having a stable home life. So in taking these kids on trips to the museum and to the beach and circus and all that, I was able to always have my children with me as well. And that was a blessing for me. But um, going back to the marriage, the marriage did not last. It, 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 was, it was a train wreck. But I think it was because I, I didn't know anything about marriage. I didn't know what marriage looked like. I didn't have it in my home. I didn't have a father in the home. So I guess I just got married to have something to do. I don't know. <laughs> so I got married, but I had two beautiful children out of it. So um, that's what my life uh, before Christ looked like. I, I didn't have him. I did not have him. So like um, Lisa and Mama Kay, I was also not raised in a Christian home. Um, I was sexually abused at a very young age by a trusted family member. I carried a ton of shame around as a result of that. I had a very distorted body image. I had a very distorted identity. And like a lot of you, I felt very uniquely flawed. Um, pleasing and approval kind of became my drug of choice. If I could just please you and you would approve of me, then I felt like I had worth. 
Um, <clears throat> I met my um, now husband when I was 15 years old on a blind date, and I found myself um, suspecting pregnancy early in my 16th year. So I'll just put out a disclaimer up front. We were both equally yoked because we were both lost as a ball in high grass. Um, we were both broken. We were both very scared. And obviously life was going to look a lot different from there on out. So we needed to confirm the pregnancy, of course. And we were riding up Highway 78 33 years ago. And I saw a billboard that I have all these years later never forgotten. It said pregnant, worried call 1-800-262-CARE. So that being said, uh, we called and found out it was a, pre, a free pregnancy test, which was kind of a perk at that point. And we drove into downtown in Atlanta during a school day. We skipped school to do so and uh, found out um, that I was indeed pregnant. A couple of things that kind of came back to my mind this week that I really believe God just brought back vividly were a few of the things that happened that day. One of which was we walked into this um, clinic for this free test, not knowing it was an undisclosed uh, pro-life clinic. So there was the sovereignty of God right there um, showing up in our, in our darkness and in our brokenness. Walked up to the counter and told the lady I was there for a pregnancy test. And right away, she looked at me and she said, wow, you're the first girl that's walked in here all month that's had a boyfriend by her side. I would find out later in life how significant that really was. Because 33 years later, he's still by my side. They put us into a little room, very tiny room. All that was in the room was a love seat and a small television, VCR, so I'm dating myself. And uh, they told us to push the video in and watch it, and they would be back momentarily after my test had processed. So we pushed the video in, the VCR in, and immediately it began to display an abortion. So it showed us what an abortion looked like, and we saw the whole details of the little fetus trying to run from the abortion tool. It was unnerving. My husband, then boyfriend, stood up, shut it off, very angry, and said, I'm not watching this. A few minutes later, a knock on the door. They told me to follow them into the lab, which I did, and they sat me down. I was shaking. I was scared to death. And the lady said, can you just put out your hand? And so I put my hand out, and she she laid this in my hand, and um, it says, this is the exact size and shape of a 10-week unborn baby's feet. Congratulations, you're pregnant. So what should have been like a really exciting moment was a really scary moment. But looking back all these years later, I see the hand of God in all of that because from then on, he was by my side. Um, he never left my side, and we decided that as backwards as it all was, we were going to give this child life, and we were going to do our very best to raise him. In September of that same year, 1985, we were married in my living room in front of the fireplace that I grew up um, in the house of, and we went and had our glamorous honeymoon at Stone Mountain Inn, <laughs> and uh, our son Christopher was born on December 5th, 1985, exactly 40 weeks after the REO Speedwagon concert. <laughs> and 14 days before I turned 17. So I was a baby and I was going to be raising a baby. All right, question number two. How did the perspective that we all just shared about motherhood and what it looked like, 
How did that change after Christ entered your story? Um, okay. Um, I, um, I received Christ in my life when I was 14, um, shortly after moving to Georgia. And um, I was just so fortunate to be surrounded by godly women that were just pouring into me. Um, you know, and, and maybe I didn't even realize how much of an impact they would have had on my life. Um, but they really taught me um, how to trust God, one, because um, trusting anybody was hard at that time, and um, how, to, how to keep faith when things are tough and how to find joy when, um, you know, life doesn't feel joyful. And um, I, I was fortunate enough to meet Nick, um, when I was 15 and, and just coming alongside, um, his family and his, you know, his family, um, you know, they were a Christian home and just, uh, being a kid and, and brought in, they took me in, um, as one of their own. And, um, I got to see what being a, a Christian wife looked like and just how, um, you know, how my mother-in-law would pour into not only Nick, but into my life and, um, so it was really cool, and just um, now I can look back and see how impactful that was, and I'm so thankful for women like Sandra and um, April J and Kara and women here that are pouring into my daughters now, and um, it's really cool. And then um, motherhood actually didn't come very traditional um, to me either. Um, I, uh, Nick and I had been married about a year, so I was 20 years old and got a call that um, my brother was being released from a juvenile detention center, and my father was in jail for possession, um, and Wade didn't have anywhere to go. And so Nick looked at me, and he said, uh, you got to go get him. And so we got custody of a 13-year-old um, a year after being married, and um, we were just kind of thrown into parenthood, and, um, and it was tough. I mean, Wade was, um, he has a huge heart, but he was three when our life fell apart. And so he never had that foundation of love that I had. He didn't, um, his whole life was chaos and being passed around. And, um, and so he didn't trust that I wasn't going to do the same to him. And, um, God just used so many, God used people in his life, um, to, to just show him consistency. And, um, you know, and it, it took daily surrender, um, to just make it through that time as, I, as most of you can imagine, I mean, raising a teenager is hard. Raising one that you didn't raise up to that point is uh, very difficult. But, um, you know, God just showed me through, um, through having Wade and through having my own kids and my own pregnancies. Um, I, I was telling the first service, um, I, when I got pregnant with Julia, my oldest, um, we had a couple scares and uh, thought, you know, we were told we might lose her a couple times and um, just praying Jeremiah 1-5 over her that, you know, before you were in the womb, I knew you. Um, and before you were even in the womb, I set you apart. And um, just being able to pray that over them and then to receive that in myself finally to say, you know, God chose me. Um, and that's what I just speak over to my girls all the time. You know, I tell them how much God loves them. And as a mother, that's what's crucial to, if I teach them nothing else, I want them to know God's love. And, um, and so that's, that's. Thank you. Um, so we'll have to, I'll have to give you a little bit of a backstory before I get to my full surrender and what it looks like now to be a mom. But, um, 
like I told you guys earlier, um, motherhood really controlled me and it did play a big impact on, on my marriage. Um, I did wait a year, um, a year and two months actually, almost to the day to get married after we had Bella. I wanted to make sure that we were making the right um, decision, controlling, um, trying to control the situation. Um, it was um, uh, five years later, we welcomed our beautiful baby boy to our family, and um, he is now two. Um, and, you know, like I said earlier, my, my view of motherhood and family was just this really perfect picture because I had such great influences and such great family members in my house um, and in my, in my family to, to just really learn from and, and to receive a lot of um, good knowledge from. Um, but fast forward to about a, um, a year and a half ago, um, a little over a year and a half ago, my husband of four years who um, we grew up in this church together um, decided he didn't want to be married anymore. Um, with very little explanation, he walked out um, and left our family and my life as I saw it and knew it was shattered. Um, my view of what a perfect family and a fairy tale um, story uh, was, was completely shattered before my eyes. And so um, it was like all this guilt came running back over me because I, I, I immediately went straight to um, something that the enemy obviously does is he uses things that's happened to us in the past. And so I immediately thought, well, this is my punishment. You know, we, we had Bella out of wedlock and this was my punishment. And um, which is, you know, not true. He doesn't make mistakes and that's not, that's not what it was. But um, that's what I, that's what I believed in that moment. And, um, it was through, um, it, it was very quickly, um, after Anthony left that, um, I realized God started pointing people out in my life that were already in my circle who were, um, single moms and single dads and, um, just people that were so influential already in my life, but I just didn't know they were going to be influential when it came to being a single parent because, you know, you, you think you have it all figured out. And remember, my, my issue was that, that this, this was my assignment and I wanted to be good at it. And now I was like, well, crap, what am I going to do now? I've, I've, I'm by myself and I'm going to be, you know, driving this, this bus all by myself. So um, a couple months after Anthony left, I, um, I literally fell on my face and said, I cannot do this anymore. I, I, I've been a believer my whole life, but I had never truly said... I can't do this anymore. You, you've got to take this from me. It, it, there's something about falling on your face and, and battling from the floor than, than just saying, you know, than just saying it. You actually have to do it. Um, but, but in that moment, um, through, through other people, even um, just in those next couple of days after that surrender, um, God gave me Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And he gave it to me in so many different ways. It's been hanging in my office since I started work here. Um, I didn't put it there. Somebody else did. Barb, um, the, day, the week after um, he left, she gave me a picture that had it written on it. I had a friend, two or three friends that actually texted it to me. And so um, I got it tattooed on me <laughs> the day the day that um, my husband chose to remarry and get um, and create a new family. I got it tattooed on my hand and um, on my wrist, and it's there for me to remember forever. But um, 
one of the biggest things in that moment and in that surrender was um, I, motherhood changed for me. It, it no longer was this perfect picture and painting this perfect picture to everybody else on the outside. It was realizing that God truly can bring beauty out of ashes and out of brokenness and being able to see, you know, what it's like, having your children see what it's like to be broken and sad and crying and praying and having all these people, you know, coming, coming around us and, and influencing my life and, and being okay with being broken, you know, and, and truly giving it to him. And so for me, it was modeling that Christ-like behavior, that behavior that, that he calls us all to do in our own life. But, but for, for me in motherhood, it was modeling what it was like to give it all to him and to trust him through all of it and to believe with all with all of our heart that that no matter what happens you know we are enough with God in us and we don't need anybody standing beside us and so motherhood changed my my perspective changed and it was no longer this pursuit of being perfect and and having this perfect family it was modeling for my kids and there is nothing nothing like having your children you know, writing scripture and putting them on the wall with mine, you know, and, and knowing what my verse says on my wrist. And so that was kind of what motherhood became for me. Thank you. Mama <laughs> Okay, so I'm still, still not walking with the Lord, but when God is pursuing you, he's pursuing you. And he just, he does not give up. And I just thank him because he did not give up on me. Yeah. So in 1980, I opened my heart to the Lord. But I still did not have what I, a, a, a connection that I was looking for. I didn't, you know, I, I loved him, but I didn't have that connection. But as I said, we moved to Miami. And um, my granddaughter, Robin's daughter, told us one day, God is calling me to church. So I looked at Robin. I said, I guess we better get going to church, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> so we started going to church. And it got to a point where I wasn't just, God working, I wasn't just going because Taji said, let's go to church. I was going because I was being fed. Something was happening to me. So one Sunday, we were in um, Bible study, and the ladies, was, they were talking about the worst thing they had ever done in their lives that they needed forgiveness for. And just as if God whispered in my ear, I heard, tell them about your abortions. I said, oh, Lord, I know this. This is not you. We got a wrong connection. You're not telling me to talk about that because I buried it. I was ashamed of it. I sat there and I heard it again. Tell them about your abortions. So I raised my hand hoping that nobody would see me. But they did. And I told them. And the peace that swept over me and I knew at that moment that I had had that connection with God when, I, when he told me to tell them about my abortions because a lot of the things that I did were stemming out of that, out of that pain, out of that shame. So 
he, he freed me. He freed me. And not only, and, and let me tell you something, ladies, whatever it is that you're going through, God can use it. He can use it because he took that unwanted pregnancy and those abortions and he led me to work in the crisis pregnancy center. How could I know what a woman felt like having an abortion had I not done it myself? How could I know? He, he sent me to prison ministry where I was able to stand up and tell those ladies, God loves you. Even if you have committed murder, if you are in Christ, he loves you. I told them, I've committed murder. Because when I aborted my babies, that's murder. Like, that's murder. But I know that God has forgiven me. I know that every step that I've taken, even it, back there in all that mess, every step was a step leading me to him. Yeah. Everyone. And he has used it. And my daughter and I, speaking of motherhood, all those ministries that I was able to serve in, we served in them together. So now I have a son and a daughter. I have four grandchildren. I have two great-grandchildren. My, my, my great-grandchildren are too young to open their hearts to the Lord. But all of my children have a relationship with the Lord. And I thank, I thank God for that. So this past week when God kind of dropped in my lap that he wanted me to share this part of my story, which I haven't shared a lot of details about in the past when I've shared my testimonies, I, I told you that the number, the 1-800-262-CARE, just kind of came back to me so vividly. And I was at the office, and I kind of shut my door, and I dialed that number. And the lady came on the line, and I said, hey, I... It's going to sound a little strange, but I was in there about 33 years ago, and I said, you guys put something in my hand, and I never forgot it, and I said, what are the chances that you guys still give those out? And she said, oh, yes, ma'am, we do every day. I said, will you please put one of those in the mail for me? And yesterday, when we celebrated Mother's Day with my son and his family, um, I kind of pulled him aside and asked him to put out his hand, and I put it in his hand, and I said, the best Mother's Day present I've ever received was... 32 and a half years ago when this was put into my hand, and it was just a really healing moment between he and I. So to kind of catch you up to speed with when God entered my story, um, it was when my son was about six years old. We were living in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. We were stationed there, and like I said, I didn't grow up in church, but I had a pesky neighbor that would not turn me loose. Every time I went out to walk, she would invite me to her church, and I finally gave in, and I did go, and a couple of weeks into to visiting, I Truly, I um, just had that Damascus road. I mean, I just surrendered. I went all in. Um, I knew that whatever God had, I wanted everything he had for me. And um, I think not having religion and tradition and church in my background kind of served me in that, that I didn't have a lot of hang-ups. I could just kind of dive in. So that being said, um, uh, at that point, I did surrender completely to God. However, that equally yoked home that I talked about uh, was now unequally yoked. And spiritual warfare began almost immediately. And so in the raising of our three children that we ultimately ended up having, um, they unfortunately grew up in a very turbulent, toxic home environment where there was a lot of fighting, a lot of bad communication patterns began to develop. Um, 
And it was just really difficult. And um, in the process of that dysfunction, the communication patterns, I really just kind of discovered that it really is true you can't have a testimony without a test. There is no clean, uh, tie it with the bow kind of story. We don't get to choose how our kids build our te their testimonies, and we don't get to always choose how we build our own. Um, but in that, I did begin to discover that I could see godly marriage and I could see godly homes being displayed in my church life. And all I knew is, is that I wanted it and I wanted it with everything in me and I was not going to turn loose. I took the bull by the horns and I decided, you know what, God, you've promised this in your word. You say if we train our children up in the way that they should go when they're old, they won't depart. But you also tell us that an unbelieving um, a believing wife sanctifies her unbelieving husband so that the kids can be holy and set apart. And so that was just freedom to my ears because I thought, yes, this is spiritual law, God. If I chase after you and I do all of my war on the floor, as you, you just spoke about, and I really cling to your promises, then I can too see that promise unfold in my life. And I know that that's not always how the story unfolds. About 13 years ago, my husband did surrender to Christ. He did get baptized at a local church and really did begin to, to, to walk with God. However, when you have a lot of dysfunctional patterns in your home and you have a lot of bad habits that you formed, and while two people are trying to kind of flesh all that out, it wasn't pretty. There was still a lot of turbulence. There was still a lot of fighting. There was still a lot of dysfunction. However, there's been a very slow process that's unfolded. And what has happened is after about 13 years, me and my husband both began to recognize that we had to focus on ourselves and what God wanted to do inside of us. And we had to lay down our pride and we had to lay down all of those kind of expectations we had and really focus on us individually growing with God. That was really hard for me because for a lot of years I wanted to play Holy Spirit because I just knew I could, if I just said it the right way and I held my head the right direction, he would get it and he'd have that aha moment. But like all of us, there has to be that divine intersection where our lives call out to God for ourselves and we gain a personal relationship. So where we are today, um, all these years later, um, we are serving together in a small group fittingly titled Broken Together, because truly there's no, no such thing as two whole people. We come into marriage broken. And motherhood, um, for me, I had to have that on-the-job training like you did. I mean, I was a baby raising a baby. But once Christ entered my life, I knew that I had to model for my kids what it meant to follow after Christ. And I tell them all the time they were, they were my biggest success story. If I did anything right, it was to raise them, you know, under God. So, Mama Kay, will you wrap it up? Okay. I, I think that I have two, two things that I, I would like to encourage the mothers. We were, we, were, we were all born into sin. That's our nature. We have a sin nature. We're born with a sin nature, and we do things. Me with the abortion, whatever it is mothers that you have done that you carry shame over if you are in the in in in, in Jesus Christ let it go stop it stop being ashamed because Jesus nailed it all to the cross you need to stop it and secondly 
I'd like to tell you that our children, they still need the same thing from, from birth until my, my children are grandparents now, and they still need the same things. They need us to love them. They need us to support them, to encourage them, to be there for them, to guide them where we can, just like they did when they were babies. They still need it. They don't change. Your children don't change. She's still my baby. So I would encourage you to do that because they need us. They will always need the mamas. Dad, you, you guys do a good job, but the, the children need the mamas. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just wanted to end by saying, look what I would have missed. These are my two beautiful grandbabies. God is sovereign, and he is, he is wielding all throughout your story, all the broken places, all the high places. He is working out a plan, and he's unfolding it. So be encouraged today. Thank you. Good job, ladies. That's inspiration right there for each of us in this room. Amen? Amen. It's very inspiring. I mean, listening to Lisa share just about the brokenness in her life. And uh, I mean, I did. I cried in both of them listening to you. Just how God has worked. Rachel, we've walked through so much of your story with you. Mama Kay, you're my hero. <laughs> she is. I, I will tell you this. Oftentimes on Sunday afternoon, I'll either get a voicemail or a text. And here's what she'll oftentimes say. Baby boy, you preached it and told the truth today. She's one of my biggest cheerleaders I have in my life. She is, and I love you. You've got so much depth and wisdom and Kim. Phenomenal story. Way to paint it up. That 1-800 number and just how God has worked with your kids and to see what God has done with you and Thomas. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's so awesome.